cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, well, he's a legend. He sang for Pompeii 99 that turned into Christian Death. He's still doing it. It's the lead singer Christian Death currently. It's Valor Canned. Please welcome to the show, Valor Canned. Well, how are you, Valor? <laughs> nice to meet you. Where are you, where are you at? And, uh... Um, let me see, Calgary or something like that. I am up in Calgary, yeah, in Canada. You, I, yeah. I, I, I take it you're in California. Uh, actually, I'm in Maine right now. Nice, nice. How are you enjoying that? Leaves haven't changed yet. <laughs> Not that I'm a leaf peeper, but I do like it. How How did you fare during this pandemic? Would you say that you were staying creative this entire time? Um, this, uh, I think I th- I'm in the same situation as most musicians that you can't be out performing, which is one of the loves of any musician. And then the other thing is, is that if you're a creator, then that's your other option. And yeah, I, that's, that was me. <laughs> I'm one of that crew. Well, I want to take you way back and just start this off because... I'm always fascinated with the guys that that started out in the LA club scenes because I want to know how much did that really have an impact on what you were doing as a musician or were you trying to actively not gather that kind of influence and gather influence from elsewhere? Let's say film, music from uh, like across the country in New York, anything else. But how, how was your relationship to that scene? Well, I have fond memories of it. Um, as far as influencing me, I think everything that surrounds you is an influence. I, I'm not the sort of person that has a... I'll, I have themes in my music. I have themes uh, for the lyrics, and I have inspiration for where that comes from. But uh, I don't look to... Like films, I don't, I don't put a film on to try and be inspired or listen to other people. I, I, usually when I, when I have a creation... A moment like it's kind of like an epiphany it just comes in and it's like okay i have to follow it through till it's done and sometimes that epiphany can be five minutes or it could take years to accomplish in this in this case of like an album because you've got so many things that you want to do and then you've got life in, interfering and and uh with artists uh and you're, in, and you're in the studio, you're recording, you're, de- you're dealing with time and you're dealing with money and you're dealing with schedules and, and all those things can interrupt the flow and it doesn't just happen unless, you know, the moment is right. And then, then you want to you be with other people. And I think what I like, now that you're thinking about those days, it was much more simpler, but it was much more restrictive because going into a studio is a huge financial endeavor. You know, and if you didn't have a record company, you were shot. And there wasn't the options that people have today. I mean, you could literally record something on your phone, pretty much get airplay with it. So um, then what, what, what I, I remember that sometimes we would be going into studios thinking, you know, this isn't really ready, but we have to pull it off. And sometimes because of that, we'd get magic moments, you know, and the, the inspiration would just flow. Some of the best songs were, were written in the studio. You know, just because it's culminated, you're at that moment when you're putting the whole uh, 
concept, the whole feeling, the whole vibe of whatever it is that you're trying to put out for that particular record. And it starts to, the, the, the well starts just overflowing and it all happens at that moment. Did you ever Sometimes. find it, well, did you ever find it really hard to write while you were on tour then? Would you say that the majority of the time you're either coming up with it at band practice or you're coming up with it with it at the studio for a new song or was a lot of stuff being written on tour back in those days? I don't think I've ever really completed a song on tour because it's so, it's so stressful and tiring, you know, especially in those days. I mean, you know, we were struggling, you know, we, I remember the first tour we did when we went to Europe, we were living on literally $5 a day for everybody <laughs> to eat, you know, and we were, because we, our first tour, we were in Europe for six months and we had 21 shows, so we had no money. Uh, we wanted to stay there, so we wanted to, we wanted, it was the best experience that we'd ever had. I mean, back then when we were in California, I mean, all the bands that you're thinking of in the LA scene, they were stuck in the LA scene. Very few of the bands, unless they were, you know, that you've even heard of today that you remember, got out of LA because there was a, there was a thriving scene where you drive down to San Diego, drive up to San Francisco and then do those shows. But pretty much that was it, you know, and it was expensive to go to other places unless you had a, a gig to go to. And in the early days of the punk scene, there really wasn't a lot of places to play outside of New York and LA and, and like the, the Rat Skeller in Boston and a few clubs, you know, the 930 Club in Washington. There wasn't a, enough clubs for that kind of music to make a living unless you were already in Jello Biafra or something. You know, you were already, you know, black black flag, you know, you were big, you know, you you had a you hadn't sold enough records that you could fill up, you know, a hundred people in a venue everywhere you went to make payday for the gas to get you to the next. I, if you've ever read the book by Henry Rollins, it's quite hilarious because I've experienced all that, you know, that just get in the van. It was a book called, are you familiar with it? Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's on the shelf right behind me. <laughs> it's awesome. So you know what I'm talking about and that, everything in that book is true. Everything in that book is a, is, was a common, a common syndrome of most bands of that era, you know, um, and then so we went to Europe and it was different. It's like you go to the 930 Club, for example. I remember the first time I pulled in there. And, um, and that wasn't back on the first tour. This was like, fuck, this was five years later showing up at these kind of shows. And you get pizza and beer, you know, after traveling all day or two days. And you're stressed out because you're, you're driving in a van or whatever. And you've got to get to from from North, from from. Tampa, Florida to Washington, D.C., you know, and you're hungry and you got to do the sound check and bang. Well, in Europe, we'd show up and you know, there'd be a full spread of all kinds of gourmet food laid out for us, coffee, tea, and then they take us out to the, the best restaurant in town to promote. That didn't happen in the U.S. So we were treated great in Europe. We didn't want to leave. That's why I spent six months there. Cut a long story short. And we wanted to pursue... We wanted to pursue pushing the band in Europe because we felt that we had more of an uh, an, an audience that we could appeal to than in America, especially with it being called Christian Death because we'd already been blackballed from every record, mom and pop record store just because of the name of the band. So a lot of the, uh, I remember we were on the same label, we were on a label called, um, uh, uh, we got a mental block, but it was the same label that, uh, that <laughs> another band I've got to, 
anyways, there was there was a, a we were on a label that uh, that was saying, hey, we sorry, we can't help you because you know uh, people are just canceling it. You know, and so we didn't figure that there was any hope for the band in America, especially after arriving there and, and not getting you know people wanting to 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 you know shut the show down. That did happen eventually, but that was because of things that we had did, you know, in the future later. But on that first tour, it was, you know, we were playing to packed houses. It was awesome, you know, and so we didn't want to leave. Well, even now, going back to Europe and touring Europe now, does that feel more like a home show than anything that you ever play in the States? Like, you, you even have uh, um, <clears throat> Cruel World coming up uh, next year, big festival, lots of great bands on that, but... Does that feel like a home gig to you, or when you when you hit in the UK? LA is definitely, you know, I just was in LA. We, I just mastered the new album, there. so we were. I was there in July, and it was it was very. I mean, I was there for months. So it was great to be there. It was great to you know to reminisce with friends and 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 family and and, and just the, have the nostalgia of being in LA again. Um, all that was great. But um, no, we've never done anything like the Rose Bowl two days in a row. This is a big deal to us, actually. You know, we've played many, many festivals, but that's fucking huge. This one is huge, you know. I mean, we we opened up Kiss and... Uh, and uh, I'm very bad with band names, I guess, especially because I've been smoking weed today. <laughs> um, we played what was called Hellfest, and there was a bunch of bands. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, I think it was in Mexico City. It was like about maybe twenty, thirty thousand people. But the Roswell's bigger. Are, would you say that you're like extremely excited for this show? What, what did you think when they when they asked Christian Death, "Will you be a part of?" Frankly, this is a pretty historic bill to have this band, this list of bands. In, in the middle of the summer, and I I personally think it's going to do amazingly well, sold out the first day in record time, so. Well, actually, there's a story behind the story, is that it's not that we're part of this. This actually, this festival became part of us, and I'll tell you why. It's because in 19, in 2019, we were already booked to play at the Queen Mary, which is a ship in L.A., Long Beach, and it was going to be an outside thing, and it was going to be Bauhaus and us, and that's what was the original thing. And so this was booked back in January or something of, of 2019, and we were really excited to do that show, uh, just because, firstly, it was L.A., it was outside the Queen Mary, it was going to be a big deal. Bauhaus hadn't played in L.A. for a long time. Then Peter Murphy, uh, like around, it was supposed to be September, I believe, 2019, so it was about two, two years ago. And then Peter Murphy had a heart attack when they were in New York because they were doing some shows. He got sent to the East Coast, and that's as far as they got. And so that show was postponed until May in 2020. So then they started rebooking it. And as they started rebooking it, then they moved. And then they decided, okay, let's do the Blondie thing. Let's get, you know... Um, uh, all, all the bands, you know, that they have. I say I've got a mental block. I can't even remember the names of the bands on there. But Bauhaus is there, Blondie, yeah, whatever. Will Morrissey and stuff like that. So then that became part of that. So in February, they announced it, and it sold out in the first 24 hours. And so 
this year when they went to announce it, it sold out for, I don't remember if it was in the first 24 hours, but it, but it was real quick. I think, I don't remember reading about it, but I remember that I heard about it, that, that it was announced and next thing you know, like a day or two later, it's always going to be booked twice because they asked us if we wanted to play twice now. And I, and I thought, well, I think it's really doing well. So they were obviously optimistic about it. If it's sold out twice in a row, get another day going for sure. So yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I mean, never done the same festival two days in a row. That's, that in itself is unusual. Same band, same lineup. Usually we've done festivals, three-day festivals, and every day it's someplace different. Like Hellfest, you know. Yeah. We've done those, we've done that kind of stuff a lot, you know. Limp Biscuit, that was another band on Hellfest then that I don't remember. Oh, and, uh, and, uh, 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 <laughs> I got such a mental block. Um, <laughs> Rob Zombie, okay. Now I've got them all out. So the, yeah, that was that was. You know, we've done, we've done. Haven't done too many mixed kind of festivals. Most of the festivals we've done throughout our career, like slash industrial, goth, death metal, you know, speed metal. Uh, you know. Nothing really is mixed as this. Actually, I guess I guess what they're trying to do with this is to make it like an '80s type of uh, dark wave thing. Well, and speaking, well, and speaking of the '80s, everybody's revisiting, looking back now. I'm curious politically. Do you think that we've got to a better place now than when you started making music, when you were adding in these kinds of themes to the lyrics, or do you think that we've gone backwards a little bit and are you maybe not so hopeful in society right now anymore so are you talking about art or are you talking about society in general i'm talking about society in general but honestly i'd love your opinion on that and art okay so the art side of it is the easy one um i have to i would be a hypocrite if i didn't say that i didn't I, to use every technology that's been used because my, my biggest love is electric guitar and without the technology, it wouldn't be an electric guitar. I've always loved to play many different instruments and, and, and uh, I've always had a, a, at my disposal multiple instruments to fuck around with and come up with what I can. And think, what can I do with this? Oh, that's really cool. And all of a sudden a song happens. Bones themselves, just timber, just the, the resonance, the way they vibrate creates a thing. And I had a, a quite a shocking experience with um, some sound uh, sampling software that I bought recently, and and I, the frequencies really like got to me because they were like there was something that I couldn't create in nature. So, but I could fuck with it in the same way that I could if it was a stringed instrument, detune it. You know, I'm on the new. I've, I've done techniques, piano techniques, which is one of the things I love, which goes back to early 60s experimental jazz stuff, maybe even late 50s. And you can take a piano that has all those notes and then just play it in a different way, kind of like a cook reverse, you know, deconstructs a, a menu, you know. Uh, instead of scrambled eggs, you end up with non-scrambled eggs, but they're scrambled eggs, kind of, you know. And and this, this I could do this with. I could change parameters 
where I could create frequencies that I just didn't expect I could. It was almost like, it was all very organic. And that was a surprise to me. But anyways, getting back to that, the technology gives you more freedom. I mean, um, things like even Photoshop is a great artistic tool because you can do things that you couldn't do in nature with what you can create visually. A spray gun, spray paint gun, you know, all these things you can create things that man I mean, until, the, until oils were created and nice brushes with horse hairs and stuff like that were manufactured over the centuries, you wouldn't have had the paintings that we had during the Renaissance because they didn't have the materials and, and tools or even people that had worked on it and showed them and, and then had the, the money of the royal families that were financing and funding all these artists and musicians. I mean, that whole era wouldn't have happened if it was wealthy, you know, and then... If it wasn't for the super wealthy funding the artists, the artists wouldn't have been able to help other people break out of that serfdom that society lived in, which now brings me in full circle to the other part of that question, because I believe that the culture of the society that we're in is manipulated, and it's manipulated by the people at the very top and has been in a very big way for about 150 years. And they have a playlist, just like, you know, any DJ, future playlist. And it goes into hundreds of years into the future. And, and they've written it all out, and we don't have a choice as far as they're concerned. So that's where we're going. And that the ultimate destiny of that is bringing us back to serfdom. Because the good old days for royalty of Europe, when everyone else was basically subservient to them, except for those that had done special deeds that were part of the bloodline, Everyone else was like in the Monty Python skit. If they weren't covered, then loyal. You know, and that's how most people live. And I think that's what they want. Again, they, they don't want, uh, they, I believe that right now, getting it back to the technological side of it, it, the technology is now at a place where having one organization or one group of people and probably ultimately one person controlling the under planet is very close because the technology is giving the tools to these people that never existed. It's, it could never have existed in its fantasies, the things that they can do now. And they can do over us because they're controlling us through, through the technology and they're using the media to influence, to become part of what they want to do with the technology, not to mention all the technology. We haven't got a clue that exists that they could save for any rainy day for any specific situation that they want to create whether it's a new messiah or an apocalyptic scenario or aliens coming from space can be easily manipulate, manipulated. And, and uh, I'm not gonna get into the politics of it, but I believe that if you look around what's going on in the world right now, that um, there's a lot of people who are so terrified about the possible reality of what's actually going on that they're both blocking it out. And uh, that's the sad part. Would you say that you're then hopeful that revolution could come about? Uh, well, I don't know about hopeful, but I have I hope that it, that the probability that that will happen because without it, we're all doomed to go back to the dark ages. Those of us that are left, those of us that are not useless eaters, you know, and and I uh, and I will I will. I will and this particular part of this conversation by saying, you're probably familiar with the quote by the 
recently deceased uh, Prince of uh, Duke of Edinburgh, sorry, uh, husband of the queen, father of the future king, when he said about 15 years ago and he was asked, do you believe in reincarnation? And if you do, what would you come back as? And his response almost verbatim, if I can remember it is. Well, if such a thing were true, I took the deadly virus to solve the world's population problem. So that kind of a sentence coming out of one of the richest, probably the richest family in the world, being a Canadian, I think we should be aware of that. I think that they're probably the most powerful family in the world, Bob the Rothschilds, who are overly, you know, uh, given too much credit. You know, they still are subservient to that family. There's no question. And so if that kind of a sentence coming out of it doesn't give me a lot of hope that these people come in for the rest of us. Going back, because you did mention a little bit about technology, I'm curious, what are we going to hear from you coming up? Are you experimenting a lot? Are you trying any new instruments on on, on new albums coming up? Can we expect some? We, our new album, we, we finished it in July, as I said, and we were mastering it, but uh, it's not, it was hoping it, we were hoping it would be out now or before Christmas, but apparently um, we're for the fact that the, it has to be released at the same time as the vinyl. And um, all the vinyl plants, because of all the artists that have been sitting around recording and creating, have overwhelmed the uh, pressing plants. And so there's a backlog and uh, we'll be lucky if we get it out in January at this point. We still haven't got a day. We finished the album in June. Well, well, yeah, but what can we expect from it? I'm, I've, it's, it's always awesome whenever we get to hear new stuff from you. So what, what can we expect? Um, well, it's definitely different. And it's, um, it's a message of hope. Speaking of hopeful, as you asked earlier, um, it's also, I mean, there's some of the things I said to you that I probably would say on other interviews, um, just because I don't think people are ready for it. But um, touch on the, the things I just mentioned in this interview, um, lyrically. And, and, and both Maitri and I have got very strong feelings about you know where the world is, but we decided that um, when we first started working on the album, we were pretty much stark and harsh about what we wanted to say about reality. And then we realized that um, it's like trying to explain sex to children. They don't get it. So we figured we'd just keep it ambiguous, have pointers in the, in the, in the lyrics and keep uh, like signposts that you can follow that ultimately that you will, as you follow those signposts, then it will slowly make sense because bombarding you with everything all at once is just too much. So we feel that people will, will be, it'd be more beneficial people for people who need to be enlightened to absorb it slowly. And the only way they're gonna do that is just like the Bible, you know, whether it's literal or whether it's just, you know, whatever, uh, you can take the, 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 the Tanakh, you know, the way things are written in, in, in Judaism. It's like the, it's got alternative meanings and everything, everything is an, you know, an, an, an analogy. Everything is, you know, not as it seems. So you have to read between the lines. You have to bring into Gematria and, and 
Kabbalah to understand, to understand, you know, the Tanakh and the Torah allegedly. So, and then, then there's, there's the, 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 the secret code within the Bible itself. So these, these things are done for allegedly because people can't grasp it unless they have, you know, uh, something to reflect on, like the literal version of Adam and Eve, you know, the simplicity, the, the simplicity of saying, well, the first two is, uh, well, what was pizza? No, was first chicken and the egg. Well, it was Adam and Eve. You know, and if you really look at that story from all the different perspectives, it's totally convoluted. You know, it doesn't, you know, it, it changes completely from depending on how it's being read and what part of each and any of these books are mentioning it. It's always another angle. Uh, not that we're trying to be um, deliberately mysterious. We just figure that if you listen to it, you're going to get it, you know. But then I, 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 I sometimes I lose faith in the hopefulness that we, we maybe, you know, that that's actually going to happen. And then everything that we were trying to say is just going to be lost in vain, you know, because of all the all the ostriches with their heads in the ground, you know, won't see or hear anything, no eyes to no no ears to hear, no eyes to see, as we said on the last album. And by the way, this album is a continuation of the root of evil of evolution. So it's just like, you know, part two. But I really like the new one a lot. I'm, I'm really excited to hear it. I hope, Valor, I just want to thank you so much for coming on here. I hope that we're going to get you on again when the album's out. Uh, I, I will be at the cruel world. So I hope to, I hope to see you then. Hopefully we can catch up then as well. And yeah, awesome. thank you so much again for coming on here though. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the album and yeah, as soon as it's out, I hope to get you on again and we can go track by track and really delve deep into this. Well, I can tell you that it's, 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 it's been, we've been calling it uh, evil becomes rule, but we're, 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 we're trying to, we may, we may vary that only because we're trying to make it so that the, the, the title of the album is easier to, for the brain to assimilate what I just explained to you about the whole lyrical concept and everything. And if we can, which we're trying to come up with something that, that more people will be able to funnel easier into the, into the, the deeper meaning of it without having to so I just that was the last thing I wanted to say that because that's really important and uh, I, I can't tell you what that is until we actually decide on it but at the moment it's it's been tentatively evil becomes rule so that definitely tells you something about it mm -hmm. but uh, we figured that we need to make it a bit more direct and uh, we haven't made the formal announcement yet because we haven't made up our minds so. and um, it's honor it's an honor to to be on your show and uh, and to have that you're interested in what we have to say and what we've been doing and uh thank you of course thank you bro uh, brother thank you for listening make sure you check out that new christian death album whenever it happens to to come out this year next year whenever it happens to be and make sure to pick up your tickets for the uh second day because there is a few left uh for cruel world it's happening in pasadena california may 15th 
uh, May 14th as well, but that date is sold out. Everybody's on that bill. Morrissey, Bauhaus, Blondie, Devo, Echo and the Bunnymen, The Psychedelic Furs, Violent Femmes, The Church, English Beat, Public Image Limited, The Damned, Black Audio, Trust, Cold Cave, the Drab Majesty. Damn, the list just goes on and on and on. London After Midnight, that is a show that we, I will be there. Hopefully you're all there as well. It's going to be a fucking awesome time. Um, go back, listen to some Christian death albums, and uh, I hope to hear you back here next time. Tell your friends, get some subscribers, and uh, this concludes our broadcast day. <laughs>